you wouldn't have give it like OAuth access to your entire Google workspace or something. Yeah, um, you'd hope not. No. <laughs> like, yeah, you'd have a bad time. Hello and welcome to Offscript. Today we're going to be talking about AI risks. Hello. <laughs> My back really hurts. You look in pain. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. I've just I've, I slipped over and I've hurt my back. I think <laughs> I'm deduced. De- you, you're sitting rather strangely. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I feel sorry for you because you look quite uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm gonna be okay. A bit of chicken will be will sort me out later. Yeah. So I'm very excited. We're going for some lunch soon at Empire Cafe, which yeah. is one of our new favourite digs. I think we mentioned it in a previous podcast. Actually, yeah, we're not sponsored by them. It's just <laughs> just really good chicken. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about AI risks. We are until lunch comes. Yes, AI risks. So I I know very little about um, the new regulation around the ISO forty two thousand and one. Forty two thousand and one. Yeah. Which is written by someone that looks like they're trying to hit a word count. <laughs> yeah, it's never never a good start, is it, for some regulatory documents? No, so I just yeah put it into Speechify, let it wash over me, and then made notes on paper, and then typed those up. Nice. And yeah, after taking a step back, I've had some thoughts. It's actually missing a lot of stuff around risk, although it talks about managing risk. It doesn't yeah. actually give you any good indication of what those risks might be. Do you um, think? Do you think it's ambiguous on purpose because the the kind of the whole landscape's moving so fast? Or? Yes. Yeah. I think I think there's a few things. It needs to be general enough to survive the future. Yeah. And which it won't. It's probably started draft before LLMs went mainstream. Mm. So some of the example risks in there aren't relevant, and it just keeps mentioning the environment. Um, right. Sort of like. Someone's like put it in the cliff notes and then gone back and pasted it in randomly throughout the whole document, which is fine. Climate change is important, but it does it does seem a bit shoehorned into the standard. So I've tried to take a bit of a step back and go because my team will just need to know the the headlines. Like, what do we actually yeah. need to do to make this standard work? And it's it's basically figuring out what the risks are, figuring out what your treatment is, yeah. which is the solution. And, and what impacts those have. So I've kind of put together what I think are the major risks around large language models. Yeah, um, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, all these sort of um, regulation standards, because uh, especially for emerging technologies, because it's still quite an unknown space. Um, so it, it's quite an interesting process to go through, kind of understanding what the documents try to achieve. Um, as you said, running it through a few tools to try and summarize it and help kind of go through it um interesting that like there's some topics around sustainability and things like that in there um it's almost as if there's an election career or something like that isn't there yeah um, yeah but yeah so I, I think it's interesting to see kind of what's useful and how you need to use that in kind of your agency and, ha- and how that applies to the stuff that you're building that's it so if you look at the iso standard very yeah. general and then you look at the stuff on the internet in mainstream media and it's it's either risks um, if you're using ChatGPT, which is quite limited. Mm-hmm. And then futurists like to think about these long-term pie-in-the-sky sort of like very far away risks, which mm-hmm. is no doubt valuable for society, but I don't. it's not very helpful now. No. Um, like, what if a robot takes a thousand jobs or, yeah, whatever. But yeah. 
interesting thought experiment, but not interesting for today. So you're, you know, we've, we've talked about your love for risk registers previously. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're not yeah. going to put those far kind of cited things on that register. You're talking more about the stuff that's going to impact, you know, the, the kind of year ahead. Or, yeah, you yeah. can put them on there, but they just you just can't do anything about them. No, I worry about the future. But they, they, your your reaction, your treatment, the solution to those far away risks will change as they come into view as yeah. As you get closer to them, mm. you'll then decide what to do with them. You can't decide what to do with them now. No. Um, but yeah, one of the risks everyone keeps talking about is, and this gets loads of airtime, is hallucination. Mm. And that term has entered sort of non-technical discussions, like layperson conversations on it. Mm. Um, I think it's definitely obviously worth putting on there. But if you've, if you've seen the leap that we had from GPT 3.5 to 4, most of the severe hallucination complaints go away if you put the source information into the prompt. Um, the most of the issues around hallucination happen when people aren't doing that. Um, yeah, the most important thing is you put worked examples in and the more good stuff you can put in, the better the stuff out is, basically. So for the sake of this conversation, define hallucination in this context. So hallucination would be it predicts Every time the model runs, it just predicts the next most likely word. Mm -hmm. So a hallucination would just be the wrong word. Yeah. Um, so untruthful or incorrect. So in terms of the kind of quality of the model, as you're saying with the kind of latest release of uh, GPT-4, for example, yeah. the hallucination in terms of just the accuracy in general hasn't improved. Yeah. So it will refuse to answer if it doesn't know. And yeah. it will try not to make stuff up. But the, the better data you can put in, the better you'll get out. But that one's pretty easy. Like, no one's winning any prizes for putting that in the risk register. Um, the emerging risk with building AI systems, like we're building one for compliance, mm -hmm. if you make a product that is good enough 95% of the time, how do you make sure that in the other 5% people are actually critically assessing mm. the output? Um, so... I think there's probably a few ways you can do that. Um, you could have in the UI, UX of the application design, you can make it clear which elements are AI generated and need approval and have a process where you force a human to review each section one by one. Yeah. So I quite like IA Writer. We talked about it previously. Yeah. You paste from ChatGPT, it's all grayed out. And then as you type, as you rewrite the document, mm. it, it lights up. That's really nice. So is, experience. is that something you, you kind of classify as human in the loop um, when you're doing that sort of iterations on on that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, human in the loop is always a good scapegoat for for people building poor <laughs> products. But yeah, you definitely need to make sure that it, people have checked it. Yeah, and you can't just sort of peck yeah one key on the keyboard and go all the way down because that's what people will do. People are lazy. Mm. Um, so how do we make systems where? It's aiding human thought, but not replacing it. Yeah. So, yeah, get that stuck on there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably one of the biggest challenges we've got with a lot of this emerging tech, isn't it, really? It's trying to... Because really, if you dig deeper into it, these are power tools, right? These are really powerful tools that if you kind of misuse or um, don't invest the time to learn exactly how to prompt engineer and things like that, you're going to end up in quite a, a kind of fuzzy space. Yeah, and... People are going to end up muddying the waters with a mix of human and AI-generated mm. opinions or results or whatever it is, and you need to almost have like traceable um, 
yeah. yeah who's who's done what and where's it come from mm. um which yeah um, as I, as we mentioned we love what we IA writer are doing and they've got that that spec mm. which can actually define which pieces of text are from which authors so the yeah. authorship stuff was really good yeah that could be really powerful uh, i wonder if we're going to see a new kind of um, era of uh, attribution on you know social media platforms and things like that where we can really clearly identify where they're from um i know that twitter kind of has it in terms of like this is a bot account or whatever but there's so much crap on there now you just don't know what's real and what isn't yeah 100 percent um yeah well i mean x is still limping along isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah it is um <laughs> and then the, the other issue we're coming up against is as we make the applications we're building integrate with other third-party systems. Mm. Um, the the quick and dirty way to do it is you tell the LLM how to call another API and yeah. let it do it. That's how OpenAI plugins work. Mm -hmm. If you do that just naively, that's bad because <laughs> <laughs> you're basically giving the model unfettered access to other systems. Mm. Um, As if it was a real user, right? As if it was, yeah, well, whatever that user is authenticated to do. Mm. Um, yeah, you need to be really careful about that because it means that any user data going into the application could could effectively call an API. So you need another layer in between. Mm. Um, you need a sort of a fake API that is contained to the only actions that it should be able to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, so so how do you kind of go through that process of creating a authorized list of APIs or because it's it's quite a complex thing to try and sanitize and kind of filter through those things, right? Because the power of those sort of integrations comes from the breadth and depth of what they can do, right? It, yeah. So you would build an API where every request would need human approval. So right, a put or post to it would be to your own API, which would just surface some UIs and do you right. want do you want to send this to this SAP system or do you want to add a to-do in Basecamp or whatever it is or I open see. a new expense? So it's almost like a workflow management tool at that point, really. Yeah, and when we were briefly chatting about it earlier, you said if they send that on steroids, but it's kind of that, isn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> but if it went rogue. <laughs> yeah, but if it went rogue. Um, so you just need to make sure you don't just give it unfettered access to other APIs and you have another layer in between. Um, but yeah, definitely worth sticking on the risk register because you could see a junior dev going, oh, this is how you implement LLMs chatting to APIs. Yeah. And I've got an API here. Off you go. And then bad yeah. things happen. So with um, with the OpenAI plugin architecture, is there anything in that to help help with that problem? Or is it is it more that it's just kind of, that's one of the risks of using that architecture? I think they have a little dialogue coming up saying that that data is going to be sent to this other API right. but it's on you to only expose endpoints that, that are suitable yeah. Um, I, yeah. um, I think they could put more in the UI for for building GPTs mm -hmm. to warn against the, the dangers I guess it's early days at the moment for that but I launched it reasonably recently so yeah it, it's it's tricky enough to to do that, that yeah people aren't going to accidentally do it mm. um like you wouldn't have give it like OAuth access to your entire Google workspace or something. Yeah, um, you'd hope not. No. <laughs> like, yeah, you'd have a bad time. Yeah. It's hard enough. You'd have to jump through a lot. You'd have to understand OAuth 2 to an extent. Oh, well, that a good bar, doesn't it? <laughs> I was trying to, uh, the reason I mentioned OAuth 2 is because I was trying to talk to Basecamp through just from a personal project. Mm. And old school Basecamp 1 and 2, 
you could just have a basic auth mm. and you could just log in with your username and password and then you get a token and yeah. you can use it forever. And now the only way to interact is auth too and I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it I just, know it's secure and I know it's better and I know you have <laughs> to do it, but I just, can you just give me a key? I think the problem <laughs> is when, when you're doing what you're doing, which is like kind of project to the side, you just want like unfederated access to a system. Yeah. You don't want to have to go through the granting process it's, of having like... I want to be able to read this or do that. It's my own personal base camp account as well, so it's not a work one. I yeah. just wanted to put some to-do items into it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I could see why that would be frustrating for a personal project, but for a work project, you'd be really glad it's there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the excessive agency risk. Um, and then prompt injection we've spoken about previously. Yeah. Um, and for this particular application we're building, um, this has a slightly different angle. So I think you mentioned about a car dealership chatbot yeah. and somebody managed to make it say, you can have this car for a pound. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think they'd realised quite quickly that um, it was just sort of an interface to GPT. So they kind of told the bot the sort of traits they'd expect to see back and the sort of kind of attitude towards this kind of conversation they were hoping for. Um, to the point where they got it to agree, like, like legally state the kind of the language um, in a way that they could buy a car for a pound. <laughs> and yeah. I think they had to actually honour it because it was the way they kind of constructed the prompts made it completely legally binding. <laughs> yeah, that is ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah, that's, that's a caution, cautionary tale, isn't it, really? So that's a good example of uh, prompt engineering gone wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was che Chevrolet, so I'm, I don't you know. I mean, Probably get the car back after six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't want that car, thanks. Um, yeah, for our app, um, one of the compliance elements, in theory, uh, an employee could keep talking through a problem to make it do a particular output that that employee wants. So, yeah. like, coax it into the way that it wants to output. Mm. We've got a lot of protection against that, but it's definitely worth thinking about. Um, it's not always easy thinking about employees of a company being bad actors, but mm. um, it sometimes goes a bit... It's not as high risk as just random people on the internet, obviously. Yeah. But it's still a risk. Um, so It's still an attack vector, though. It doesn't have to necessarily be an, an employee abusing that right. It could just be that you've actually had some sort of a breach and it's actually not an employee at all. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, you know, humans are always the, the weakest link in this sort of thing, right? So Yeah. Well, the, the prompt injection um, conversation keeps coming up in terms of indexing things into vector databases. Mm. What if you can almost have like a like a sleeper prompt injection that lives in the vector database mm. and only gets surfaced under certain circumstances and then that goes into the system prompt and then, yeah. That could be really funky. <laughs> yeah, it could be really, and very difficult to debug and yeah. track down and things like that. Yeah, that's that's the the other challenge. Really, one of the other risks is we're entering this new era of untraceability with these sort of things, where you kind of a few degrees of separation from what's going on. Um, that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I find. It's kind of like you know, you kind of need to put the guards in place um, early doors. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the engineers from um, OpenAI actually did a tweet about this sort of sleeper agent LLM issue. Right. Um, but this is more. A hypothetical from a researcher so this is a bit further out mm. but they had a concern where they could put 
random obfuscated text on the internet somewhere. Mm. OpenAI or another organization crawls it, ingests it, goes into the model, and under some sort of set of circumstances, it triggers that oh, right. to do something. All <laughs> oh, right. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes because the conversation is quite interesting, but he seems to think it's pretty unlikely, but not impossible. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty unlikely. Which is, you know, not the reassurance you might have wanted. Um, yeah. I think Anthropic did a paper on it called Sleeper Agents as well. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, it, basically what happens is you put the entire internet into the training data Um yeah, train the model, that has all the weights for the words, and then the safety training changes the weights to take out the bias or the right. the racial stereotypes and all the awful stuff. Mm. And the idea is that even after that, could there be some secret bits hiding in there that, that just unearth themselves in under certain circumstances? <laughs> That's so but, complicated, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit beyond me as to how that might actually work, but definitely worth thinking about. Stick yeah. on the risk register. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, you know, because when you've got one of their own engineers saying, it probably won't happen, but it definitely could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's really hard when you're working with, um, you know, policy, say if you're building products or, you know, like, like we both are, um, it's really hard to write sort of bulletproof um, policies and terms when, like, you know that there are inherent risks to this sort of, um, you know, this sort of, technology yeah and and scientists will never want to say like something is definitive definitively right or wrong yeah they'll always caveat yeah like it's 99 point as many nines as you can think of right yeah. but there's always a chance I, um, I guess that's why you have to kind of um throttle the risk appetite for the sort of products you're building with with how far you take some of those kind of features and functionality uh, if you're in a quite a risk-averse space um, where, you know, the audience of that um, product might not be comfortable with AI sort of tooling, um, you're probably going to play it super safe and make sure that, you know, you're not doing loads of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, the ISO standard recommends you log everything, um, which gets, has another challenge. You kind of should be doing most of that anyway. Obviously, anonymizing things where possible. Yeah, you need yeah. to take PII out of there. But yeah, it's, yeah, you need to, yeah change your risk appetite depending on on what you're doing yeah um then the other side is and this is an easy one but just treating any output from the llm as user data as you would just escape it run a run it through markdown formatters with the option to render html switched off things yeah. like that just because just in case the script tag gets into your index yeah. data and then pulls through somewhere and comes out the other end just treat it as if it's user data yeah um it's not too hard. I think that's um, that's just a kind of standard, though, isn't it? You you've got to assume that any sort of uh, input and output isn't isn't safe, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty easy to mm. mitigate against. Um, this one, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about the the sort of model denial of service aspect, but the the problem with LLMs at the moment is they're quite expensive. Yeah, um, and. In theory, it's not too difficult for someone to spawn quite a lot of requests to mm. to your application, which then go to OpenAI. You can put caps on it, billing-wise, but it could, you'd easily see how it could spend tens of thousands in, in a few hours without much oversight. Um, uh, yeah, I guess, although it's really, 
to be fair for that one it's probably down to good rate limiting practices and and some of the normal stuff you did assume with any sort of paid api right good rate limiting yeah maybe limit per on a key like a user id or session id or something yeah yeah i mean you see a lot of applications kind of have tiers right so if you pay a bit more and obviously that's factored into the cost per server that user you can make more requests and things like that yeah and the good thing about OpenAI at the minute is they they tier it so you start off at one level and then they cap it and then Mm -hmm. after you spend a certain amount they lift the cap so they they they've probably seen some issues around it and they've got a sensible tier system we're on quite a high tier because we spent a load last year on automated testing yeah Sure. Yeah, which was fun. <laughs> Look in your eyes, said we, we should probably not talk about that anymore. No, it was really useful. It's just extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a, a point where we were pressing Command S and it cost like a tenner or something, um, <laughs> like immediately, because it was all in parallel. But oh, it, was, right. it was super useful for iterating quickly on a prompt that we were doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that for very long. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Pain in my eyes. You Sounds like some it. sort of CFO conversation happened there. <laughs> yeah, Aisha's on my back. for like telling off there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you know it's a common problem. I, I remember um, Vercel were getting into trouble with this sort of stuff um, because they were basically spent... They had quite a bad management on spending caps, I think. So, like, they were just letting people run wild with, like, 10, 20 grand bills on from, from what was, like, hobbyist plans and stuff. Oh, so, God. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Um, I think they're not doing too well on the DevX at the moment. But. Yeah, we got stung with some first cell billing, but that's a conversation for I think, day. I think that's that, that actual <laughs> business model. Yeah. <laughs> just letting you aimlessly. As, yeah, the Postgres billing doesn't make sense to me because if, if someone accesses the site every minute, you're going to go over. Yeah, I don't understand. I know it's serverless and stuff, but it's just cheaper just to run a container. Yeah, and you shouldn't really be worrying about someone accessing the site. And no, <laughs> it's kind of the point. Yeah, that, that's just like a, a cheap digital ocean job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You should get one of those old school. You remember like those little uh, like visit counters. Yeah, yeah. But instead, that's just your spend. <laughs> yes, every time someone goes on it, it's a quid in their cell billing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some of the risks that we came up against um, in a POC, we had a requirement for some exact phrasing to come out of the LLM. Yeah, we went down a route which was extremely time-consuming and annoying. And actually, um, yeah, you need to make sure you're not trying to bend the LLM out of shape like that and do things that it doesn't want to do. Because mm. the best will in the world, if you you can't you can't just keep threatening it with a stick to do exact phrasing on. On an output, so the the actual way to do it, and this is the mitigation for the risk, is um, is get the LM to call actions within your app, and then that goes and fetches the verbatim text to put in the output. Right. Or you have a marker, and you replace the marker with the exact phrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is for use cases like, let's say you ask for what are the company values, mm. and the all the CEOs and management have spent months and months and months coming up with the exact phrasing, mm. chuck it in an LLM, and it just has a bit of a freestyle creatively, and then mm. you can have a bad time. Um, so, mm. yeah, that's fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So just don't try and make it do stuff it doesn't, it's not fit for, I guess. Mm. Well, that's, that's a good example. It's not a replacement for the kind of final end product, right? And yeah. 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 So that's those are my risks really. The the far far off ones are things like 
you know, GPT-5 or the future models get close to AGI-level intelligence, which a tweet last week hinted at. Mm. Um, That's what a lot of people are quite scared about, right? I think I think at that point, um, you've got bigger problems in your risk register because that breaks capitalism. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but apart from that... <laughs> you, is, that on, is that on your risk register? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people are going to be pissed off about that. Yeah, I don't think we are close to AGI. No. Uh, well, that was one of the original conversations around the whole kind of open AI drama, right? Um, that they were getting getting close to that, and that was one of the big concerns that they were, they were taking too many risks. Yeah, if I mean, if they are close to that, the world's not ready, is it? I don't think so. I don't think we're really ready for this this level of kind of AI at the moment that we talked about today, really. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's it's just a new. A new age of education around this this level of technology. Um, I don't think we've had, you know, a kind of invention like this over the last however many years that's been such a, ba- a black box. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's quite quite a challenge. You know, you mentioned like some of these some of these terms are making its way into kind of general language, like hallucinations and things like that. But without a solid understanding of what that really means. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. One of the main problems is is decision-making in a non-transparent or non-explainable way yeah. is just going to get you in a lot of legal bother um, yeah. and, yeah, potentially make some bad decisions. Yeah. And when it's already a space full of, like, missing disinformation anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's quite challenging. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there's so much opportunity that you, the risk of not doing something is, is even greater sometimes. Yeah, I think I do, I'm super excited for the future. Maybe not for AGI just yet, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if we can get to a point where it can chunk through some of the to-do list items for me, that would be nice. Yeah, but, but yeah, maybe not take over <laughs> your, your job. Yeah, yeah. I think I do think that's you know that space around sort of like personal assistant or um, kind of task optimization is is rife for disruption. It's just the, the first company that really harnesses that properly and figures that out is going to make a lot of money. I'm excited for when it filters its way into things like Siri, um, yeah, like because it. Siri understands how to do actions in apps. It's mm. just rubbish. Yeah. Um, so if it was good yeah. and it could actually tie things together. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Rabbit R1. No. From um, Teenage Engineering. Oh, yes, um, I have. You showed me. So that. I've got a pre-order on that. But the idea is that it would drive apps in the background. I don't know where it runs them. Yeah. But you can have, uh, plan me a trip to Seattle and put me a playlist together and Mm. xyz find me some restaurants and it'll use all these apps in c- combination mm. and uses a, a kind of like a large language model but they call it an action model ah, okay and it knows how to tap through all these different apps and you don't see any of the ui ux and all you get is like really simple prompts yes. um i don't know if it's going to be as good as the demo video but if it's even half as good, it's mm-hmm. quite exciting direction because that changes UI, UX of everything. It's quite affordable as well, the thing that you've... Yeah, yeah it's like $199, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, because that's the thing, as you said, with like Siri, you know, shortcuts, for example, which is a lot of the power behind Siri, right, in terms of how the integrations hook up and how you kind of create custom, um, what do you call them, custom workflows, I guess, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, that'd be really powerful if it makes its way into that. Yeah, I'm super interested to see how that hardware um, works when, when it turns up. What's, yeah. the, what's the due date? Is it like 10 years away? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know which tranche I'm in. It might be the second, but yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on it. 
Excellent. So um, when that comes in, it's already out of date. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I'm really joking. No, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be good. Yeah. But yeah, that's those are the risks. Um, but yeah, opportunities are really great. So yeah, just give it a go. Well, thanks for running me through your risk register. No worries. <laughs> and, uh, and educating a noob around, around this sort of stuff. I'm, I'm excited to learn more. Ace, thanks very much, Josh. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Hit subscribe for more in the future and we'll see you next time.